Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles, wrong, wrong book. Second uh, Chronicles, chapter number twenty-one. This morning, Second Chronicles, chapter number twenty-one. I have a very short message and a very long introduction this morning. Uh, I want to share with you just a very interesting little tidbit, something that uh, I came across studying for the, the the class I was teaching last fall from this passage, and it's something just reading through it, you don't necessarily see, hopefully I can make this make sense to you, but it's a pretty interesting little little Bible nugget here that I want to bring out to you when we get there. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 21, 2 Chronicles, I did it again, at least it didn't say 1 Chronicles, so, <laughs> 2 Chronicles 21, and uh, we'll, we're eventually I'm going to have you turn back to over into Kings a little bit to show you a few things, but uh, so you might hold on to your Bible just if you want to follow along with me and we'll get there. Second Chronicles 21, and uh, we'll just start reading. I may cut off a little bit early just for the sake of time, but Second Chronicles 21, verse number 1. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah and Jehiel and Zechariah and Azariah and, and Michael and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with spent cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. But when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he stretched himself and slew all his brethren with the sword, and divers also of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was thirty and two years old when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the sight, or in the eyes of the Lord. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of God because of the covenant that he made with David, and as he promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. Aren't you glad for the, the mercies of God, him keeping his promises? Verse 8. In his days the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. And Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him. And he rose up by night and smote the Edomites which compassed him in and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made, him, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. Verse 12, And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, Because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people, and thy children, and thy wives, and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels, until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. We'll go ahead and just finish out the chapter. We're pretty close. Verse 16, Moreover the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. 
and they came up uh, into Judah and break into it and carried away all the, the, the substance that they found in the, in the king's house and his sons also and his wives so that there was never a son left him save Jehoaz, the youngest of his sons. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came past that in the process of time after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness. So he died of sore diseases, and his people no, made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchers of the kings. We've introduced you here a king that gets overlooked. We talk about the great kings of Israel. You don't talk a lot about Jehoram. We met there, we saw that his father was Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings. Jehoshaphat did a lot of good. I still haven't figured out where he was jumping, but he was a good king. Anyway, Jehoshaphat reigned for 25 years over Judah. He, uh, not sake you can turn back to chapter 17, you read about him, a very glowing account of what he did, bringing the nation, or the, the kingdom of Judah back to God, restoring worship, did a lot of good things. And um, But it, there's two things he did that were bad. One is he allied himself to King Ahab in the northern kingdom. They intermarried the kingdoms. There's a mess because of his alliance with the northern kingdom of Israel and Ahab. The other thing that he did is he did a lot to restore true worship, but he didn't completely annihilate the idolatry. And you see that it springs back up after his death. Those are the two stains on the record of Jehoshaphat. In our text this morning, though, he's dead. He just died. There are seven sons that he has left behind. And Jehoram, the eldest, is made king. He's 32 years of age. He was not a good king, as you see there. He had a very vile character. Jehoshaphat had tried to maybe stave off a succession crisis. Uh, so what he did was he tried to placate the other brothers. said, okay, I'll give you this mighty city. I'll give you this land. You can go rule this little territory. You'll be fine. But you know your, your brother Jehoram is going to be king. Maybe that would have worked. Maybe they would have been satisfied. But the oldest brother, the king Jehoram, was not. He took no chances. And as soon as he was on the throne... And his father, good and buried, he wastes no time killing his brothers, lest someone challenge him for the throne. He also kills other leaders. His reign is christened by the blood he shed. Not only is he a murderer, you find that he has a wicked wife in verse number 6, a daughter of Ahab. Though she's unnamed here, if you go to the next chapter, I believe this is Athalia. And uh, she, you can read about her in chapter 22. Like I said, we're going to reference a whole lot of history here. But she is one of the most wicked individuals, probably second to Jezebel in that whole family for her wickedness. You can read there in chapter 22 her, her, her vile lust for power that caused her to kill her own children and grandchildren so that she could be queen over Judah. One of the darkest chapters in the history of the Jews. No doubt she helped push her husband into uh, more and more evil ways. Verse 11, we read that he was an idolater. Pagan worship that his father Jehoshaphat tried to stamp out, he brought back and multiplied and encouraged. 
God could not bless the kingdom with such a corrupt and sinful ruler, the direction they were going. He sent judgment to try to turn his people back. The, uh, the, the client kingdoms that they controlled, Edom and Libna, revolted, caused a lot of distress. You see a coalition of, of foreign uh, powers, the Philistines. By the way, the Philistines had actually paid Jehoshaphat tribute. They, they had been sub, sub, uh, subjugated by Jehoshaphat. But now they, they are also kind of rebelling. They attack, the, the Arabs attack, this coalition of forces. They take Jerusalem. They take the gold and the wealth of Jerusalem of the many times that it sat in this history. They take the family of the king. We don't know what happens to them. Did they take them prisoner? Did they kill them? What happened? We don't know. Only the youngest son is left, and he will become the king later. One of the lowest moments there reading that passage we find the record of the last part of his life, the last couple of years, only reigned eight years. But those last part of his life, he's desperately ill. God gave him some sort of disease, maybe some sort of a, a, a dysentery or something like that. Uh, and we don't know exactly what it was. I've seen people speculate, but just the description is horrible. Those last years of agony and embarrassment, he dies at the age of 40. His death is not celebrated. He's not marked with great processions or great honor. They just kind of quietly bury him. They don't even give him a royal burial. They just bury him over in the cemetery in Jerusalem. Uh, and we could carry on and talk about Hazai and Athalia, but we've got to turn back to this. We've looked at the reign of Jehoram, but I left one thing out. And you're probably saying, yeah, you skipped over one thing. Yes, I skipped over one thing. That's the letter from Elijah did so on purpose. I wanted to tell you about this king so you could understand what was going on in this kingdom, the setting for this letter that was sent. You know, I, I suppose it's human nature that we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be told we're doing something wrong. Um, just uh, the other day, I can't remember, was it Friday? Maybe it was Friday. I was um, I come back from this way for some reason. I was going to go across the square and I saw they have Walnut Street shut down. So I just went on down, went to Mulberry and went home and whatever. But as I was coming back, me and my short-term memory, I forgot that that road was closed. So I came across the square and right there uh, by where the Masonic Lodge and all that is, they had the sign, road closed. So, okay, great. So I, I turned there and I go down and uh, I, I turn left. I, I, I had to look it up. I wasn't sure. I think it's Oak Street, the one I turned on to right there. Some of y'all would know. Y'all would correct me if I was wrong, so I had to look that up. So anyway, I turned there and, and, and kind of kept coming west. And I got down to uh, to Cowan. Isn't that right? Yeah, Cowan. Right there. cuts through the mulberry. Right? Yeah. They, that adds not in head. I hadn't been garage selling enough lately to remember where all the streets are. And, uh, but anyway, I get down there and I thought, okay, I'll turn left and I'll... I'll you know, I turn left right there to go back towards Walnut, and you know what I see? Signs, road work. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. But I get up there, and when you finally get to Walnut, you know what there is? There's signs that says, road closed. So I had to back up, turn around, go back over to Mulberry. Uh, you know what those signs, what were those, though? Those pesky road signs, they were warnings, trying to tell me what was happening, trying to tell me, look out, don't go this way. There's equipment. They're digging holes in the road. There's people over there. It's a danger for you. It's a danger for the workers if you go this route. Can I tell you that God in His great mercy does that for us? 
He gives us warnings and alerts to put us on the best path. We may get frustrated by them. We may not like them all the time. But they are an expression of His great care for us. In verse 12 of our text, Jehoram gets his warning sign. It's a letter from the prophet Elijah that's delivered. By the way, this is the only mention of Elijah in First or Second Chronicles. His ministry is mainly in the northern kingdom. You find it over in First and Second Kings. The only time he's mentioned in Chronicles is this letter. The message. Jehoram, you're going down a path of destruction. You're not walking the ways of the good kings before you. Jehoshaphat, your father, Asa, your granddad. You're walking in the ways of Ahab, Jezebel, the house of Omri. You're causing the people to fall back into idolatry. Your hands are stained with innocent blood of your own brothers. So God says, I'm going to send judgment. Judgment that would affect the kingdom, his family, his wealth. Judgment that would be to him personally an agonizing disease that we discussed. Now, I want to tell you something on this. God says, yes, I'm going to do that. But I'm going to tell you, this is a warning sign he was giving him. Because I can show you other places where God says, very similar, that judgment's coming, but the people that heard it repented. They turned from their sins, and God says, okay, I don't have to send judgment now. If you were to look a little bit further ahead in the story, it's actually back in 2 Kings 20, King Hezekiah had a moment like that. He was sick, and Isaiah was sent to tell him, Hezekiah, you're going to die. Don't you, wouldn't you like to hear that from the man of God? Comes in, sorry, son, you're going to die. And uh, But anyway, Hezekiah heard that. He repented of his sin. And before Isaiah even left the palace, God said, Isaiah, turn around. Go back and tell him he's going to live. Yet God gave him 15 more years. God used the promise of judgment to bring about repentance. By the way, the same thing happened when Jonah preached at Nineveh. Jonah says, hey, judgment's coming. The people repented and God gave them more time. So I think when God is pronouncing this, it's not God saying, hey, this is going to happen. I think he's trying to tell him, son, Jehoram, turn, don't make me do this. It's a warning sign for him to take a detour, to repent, to turn from the path that he was on. He could have turned, but he didn't. He couldn't blame God for not trying. Now, I want to show you the interesting part of this. You'll bear with me here because I'm going to have to show you some scriptures to make this case. But I'm going to show you what's interesting here. First off, remember this. Who wrote the letter? Elijah. Okay. Who was it delivered to? Jehoram. Who was Jehoram's father? Jehoshaphat. Okay. Remember those three things. If you were to go back into First and Second Kings, Basically, we're telling the same story, a little bit different perspective. And First and Chronicles talk more about Judah, and First and Second Kings talk about Judah and Israel, the Northern and Southern Kings. There's a little bit of difference. In the sequence events, sometimes it gets a little confusing when you when you try to get these two, uh, you try to put them together. But if you take time to look, if you get a good reference book, good commentary, they're going to show you something very interesting that happens here about this letter. Let me show this to you. Elijah the prophet begins his ministry in 1 Kings chapter number 17. It's right after Ahab becomes king over the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, Reese in the Chronological Bible 
uh, that he put out says it's about two or three years later. But anyway, right, right about the time that Ahab becomes king is when Elijah begins his ministry. Jehoshaphat, just about that same time, uh, maybe a couple of years also after, he becomes king. Remember Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, who was the king that got the letter from Elijah. Okay? Jehoshaphat is uh, also on the throne. Their, their reigns overlap, uh, most of them, between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. When you get to 2 Kings in chapter number 1, you will see that Elijah is alive, and he is interacting with Ahaziah. Ahaziah was the son of Ahab that took the throne after Ahab's death. We're marching a little bit further in time. So Ahaziah is on the throne of the northern kingdom. Jehoshaphat is on the, the, the throne of the southern kingdom. Elijah is still alive. Okay? Ahaziah dies at the end of the chapter. In chapter 3, Ahaziah's replacement, who's his brother, who's also named Jehoram. There's two Jehorams. I'm sorry, it gets confusing. There's only so many names. But he's replaced. So anyway. But that's in chapter 3. 2 Kings 2 is the story of Elijah being taken up to heaven with the chariot of fire and the whirlwind. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Been in church. Like even my, my little kids all know the story back there about Elijah being taken up in the chariot of fire and the whirlwind. Oh, right? Okay, I said yes. That's not my thing. Becky, what are you teaching us here? <laughs> so, okay, that's in chapter 2. So, what it appears to be is that Elijah is taken up to heaven about the time that Ahaziah dies and his brother Jehoram takes the throne in the northern kingdom. That's the northern kingdom. Who's still alive in the southern kingdom? Jehoshaphat. Okay, are you catching on yet? Maybe. Okay, if you go, um, let me see here, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Okay, in 2 Kings 3, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram of Israel, the northern kingdom Jehoshaphat, they go together to war with Moab. In verse 11, they're looking for a prophet and uh, to, to talk to, and I'm not going to get the whole story, but Jehoshaphat says, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, the guy that took over, you know, uh, Elijah's role as a major prophet. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured, past tense, water on the hands of Elijah. Here's another little key. By this point, Jehoshaphat is king. Elijah is already gone. Elijah has already been taken up into heaven. This past tense, okay? Who's already gone? Elijah. Who's the king of Judah? Jehoshaphat. Are you catching on yet? Let me lay this out. First off, Elijah was taken to heaven before Jehoshaphat died. I've just made the case to you that Elijah has already been taken up in the whirlwind and all that while Jehoshaphat is still on the throne. Two, Jehoshaphat died before Jehoram was king. We read that in our text in 2 Chronicles 21. Now, Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers. He was graveyard dead in the language of Jerry Clower, was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead after his father's death. Okay. Then, number three, Jehoram receives a letter from Elijah after 
his father Jehoshaphat was dead because he's king. Okay. Verse 12 said, There came a writing to him, Jehoram, from Elijah the prophet. So you piece all of this together. If you're following along with me, I hope this is making sense. I'm doing my best to describe this. Jehoram received a letter from Elijah who was already in heaven. Elijah was gone in the reign of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's gone now. Jehoram's on the throne. Yet he just received a letter from someone who was in heaven. According to Reese's Chronological Bible, which I use a lot, I think his stuff is really good. I found a few things I disagree with, but he says that Elijah has been in heaven for seven years before this letter was delivered. And by the way, you say, well, Matt, you're making stuff up. I do sometimes knock them. <laughs> I get weird ideas. But J. Vernon McGee, go check him. A.C. Gabling, Adam Clark, John Gill, Matthew Poole. Almost any ominous commentary will tell you there's something strange about the timing of this letter and, uh, in, the, in the series of events. I make the case that Elijah was already in heaven when this letter was delivered. I'm going to tell you what I think happened here. I think it's clear that Jehoram was a wicked person who would one day, he was the heir apparent, he was the crown prince. We knew he was going to be on the throne. And God impressed upon Elijah before he was taken up in heaven to write a message to rebuke him. That message was not delivered in Elijah's lifetime, nor in Jehoshaphat's lifetime. I think God had Elijah leave instructions that this message be delivered once Jehoram was on the throne. See, God already knew what was going to happen. God had already made a warning sign to put up in front of this young man to say that there's danger ahead. God had prepared it maybe seven years before it was needed. J. Vernon McGee, I like the way he put it. He said, what we find here is that when Jehoram came to the throne, he found a message on the front steps of the palace. It was thrown there by God's paper boy. Uh, I, I like that, that imagery. Can you just imagine Jehoram? He checks the mail one morning. He gets that letter. Oh, somebody wrote me a letter. Elijah, ain't he dead? Hey, didn't he go to heaven? Somebody checked the obituaries again. Didn't he? He's already gone, right? And open that thing up, and this thing is in his handwriting. How did that thing get here? Can you, can you imagine the impact that would make to receive a letter from somebody who's already up in heaven? <laughs> you know, God was trying to get his attention. Sadly, he would not heed the warning sign. Like I said, long introduction, short sermon. First off, I want to say that God puts up warning signs out of his great care for us. He truly desires for our best. Was God just looking for somebody to punish or send a mean letter to? No, He was not. I tell you, nowadays people are cruel. People just enjoy being cruel. God, I don't believe for a second, enjoys being cruel. He's not cruel. When God does something like send a warning sign to us, He's trying to help us. That's an expression of His love for us. We may not like it, we may not understand just like when you drive down the road, you may always go, why is this road closed? And when you have to go the other way. But you realize, probably a good reason. There's a hole. There's a... I'll tell the story on that in a little bit. But God puts warning signs up out of His great care for us. Second, 
God will go to great lengths to get our attention. I'm convinced that no man, saved or unsaved, will be able to stand before God and accuse Him of not doing enough. I don't think you'll be able to say, well, God, if you had only... Well, God, I would have been a missionary if you had only... God, I would have accepted that gospel if you had only... I don't think you'll ever be able to stand before the great and holy, righteous, mighty judge of this universe with any sort of excuse. That's my, my, my opinion on it. I don't think you'll be able to say, God, if you only... I don't think you'll be able to talk back. God says, you're guilty. You're going to say, yes, sir. I think that's the way the judgment works. But he is still that shepherd who left the 90 and 9 to seek the one lost lamb. That took a lot of effort. He's the king that left his throne for a cross to buy our redemption. He went to a great length to get our attention. He still does today. Third thing, God knows what lies ahead and that is part of why and how he acts. I can't tell you what will happen. I can tell you things I would like to happen. I would like for TCU done a little bit better the other night. I, I, I would I would like for some things to turn out a little bit differently. But God knows. God knows what lies ahead. We, we, we don't, but He does. So we can only trust in His providential care. I'm going to tell you, I was thinking about this when um, Becky were talking about the some family members kind of in the transition period of life, and I was thinking it wasn't um, probably eight, eight, nine years ago, I guess, I, I was talking to a pastor up in uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and I had an opportunity to go up there and, and work for him and kind of run a Christian school and some stuff. And I'm going to tell you, there for a little while, we were very seriously working at that. I was praying, oh God, is this, I'm telling you, I never got peace about it. I think it would have been a great opportunity. I really would have loved working for the man. And um, God said, no, no, that's not it. I didn't understand it at the time. Because I would have really loved to have been in full-time ministry at the time. But you know what? God knew what was, what was ahead. I had to trust in him that there was something better. Y'all may be saying, oh, we wish we had taken it. <laughs> but I think God knew, hey, Faith Baptist is going to need somebody. God knew what lies ahead. Don't and by the way, with that, don't assume that you have another chance. Sometimes uh, we pass by those road signs, you know, road work ahead. Oh, that's fine. I got plenty of time. You're like those people that wait till the last minute to merge over, right? Yeah. Don't assume that you've got another chance. When God puts up a warning sign, God is merciful. God is gracious to us. But it doesn't mean he's going to put up 50 trillion warning signs for us to continually ignore. Heed those that you have. And last off, I want to say that there's a cost to not heeding the warnings. I guess, I was trying to think, I can never remember what year this was. I'm terrible with dates and such. Like I said, if you ask me how old I am, it's easy now. But most of the time I have to stop and do the math. I just, I don't remember how old I am. I'm terrible with dates and things. I can remember what happened, I just don't know when. I guess it was about 10 years ago, I was trying to think about that time. Do y'all remember when we had all the flooding on Mother's Day? y'all remember that? It was probably about about 10 years ago. I can't remember when there was a hurricane or something that kind of sat on top of us, remnants of it. Right, I'm not crazy, right? This really did happen. 2015? You, you, yeah, you know. Do what? 
I am crazy. 2015, so I was, I was close. Anyway, we were going to church down at, at, at Friendship, down in Boyd, and we were knew it was raining, knew it was, you know, we had heard stories about there being some flooding, and, and then we're going we're gonna to get out here. We were headed up to my parents' old house out there on 51 North Town, and, uh, of course, that house was right next door to the house I grew up in. I used to tease us I could tee up a golf ball and hit the other house. I don't think I could, but I used to tease people and say that. But anyway, grew up, lived out there all, you know, been out all my life. And thought, oh, there's no way. We'll be fine. I mean, that, that's uphill. There's no way. There's going to be any problem flooding it, getting up there. So we get going, and there were places where there was a little bit of water, you know, kind of pulled up on the road. wasn't too bad. We got almost up there to where they lived. If you know where the old D-Bar um, ranch, that entrance and all that is, kind of right there. And About a couple of hills before we got top on those last hills going over, got down that bottom, and there was water across the road. I had never seen water across the road there. And For a second there, I thought about stopping, but <clears throat> I didn't. And uh, we, we, we drove through, and we made it through fine. And, but uh, we, we got over that last hill right before you get to Joe Spann's old house. You know, some of y'all might know where that is. And there's a tank right there in front of that house. And as we top that hill, I see lights and stopped cars. And with all that flooding, that tank had overflowed. And all that water is just rushing across the uh, 51 right there. And like I say, it took out there all my life. I'd never seen that. I can't remember another time that ever happening out there. Maybe a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing happening there. But as we come down, we top that hill. There is a there's a, actually a, a, a car stopped there, and it was a volunteer fireman. I don't remember who it was, but they had a, a big mag light flashlight, and they were kind of trying to wave people down. And anyway, so but there was three or four cars stopped on either side because there was no way getting crosses. I mean, it was whitewater rapids going across the road there. And as we're sitting there and in spite of the downpour of rain that's going on, in spite of the situation in general, in spite of all the stop traffic, in spite of the water over the road, in spite, in spite of those guys out there with flashlights and stuff trying to get people's attention to get them to stop, there was a little truck came by us on the shoulder on the right-hand side. Remember this, Becky, right? And we go, oh my goodness, what is that guy doing? And I already had kids that were panicking. They thought we were going to drown. They thought Noah was coming. It was, and we were already kind of all worked up there a little bit. But this truck comes over on the shoulder. And he kind of slowed down for a minute, if I remember this right. And then he goes into the water. In spite of the rain, in spite of the water, in spite of the stop traffic, in spite of the volunteer fire, he, he ignored every warning sign and drove off into the water. And I'm telling you, we held our breath like, what? Oh my goodness. He did, he did pretty good. He got about halfway and then, of course, lost momentum and it sat there for a minute and you kind of see the steam come up and you know, the, the engine flooded and Anyway, you see it stop, and then you start seeing it move. And the water pushed it off over in the bar ditch over there, I guess on the south side of the road or whatever, and um, pushed it over there, and it, it, it pushed it over against the fence there. The guy got out. The guy was the guy was okay. I'm sure he felt like the biggest idiot in the world, because he was about the biggest idiot in the world. There wasn't any of y'all with it. 
<laughs> yes, I should have checked before I told the story. But you know that fella had every warning sign in front of him. Every warning sign that it's not safe to go across that water. What did he choose to do? He chose to ignore it as he go on. Let me tell you something. God puts up those warning signs for us. There is a reason. Sometimes I've seen signs... Oh, that, 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 that don't mean anything. They left that high water sign up because it was flooded, but it's not anymore. Sometimes they do that, that little low spot down by the library. Sometimes they'll leave those up uh, longer than the water you know, is cleared out. But let me tell you something, folks. When God puts up a warning sign, there, there's a reason for it. When God commands us, thou shalt not, there's a reason for that. Because there is danger if we go beyond those warning signs. When God puts those up in our life to try to get us the detour, to go a different way, when He tries to tries to move our hearts and move our direction, I'm not sitting there saying, "Well, there's destruct." I don't know what lies ahead, but He does, and I have to trust in Him. Trust those warning signs when they come up. Be careful. The greatest of those, of course, is salvation as musicians come. You know, God has warned mankind of what lies ahead for us, giving us every chance. I won't tell you, there's really, folks in America, we don't have an excuse. You can go to the dollar store and buy a Bible, you can download it on your phone, you can turn the TV on, and somebody, not a lot of them, but there's some people out there preaching the true gospel still. It's everywhere. There's churches on every corner. There's warning signs everywhere. I'm going to tell you something. For somebody who has to go to hell, you, you go past a lot of warning signs. Don't, don't, don't gamble with that. We know what lies ahead. God's told us to that. That's one of the main warning signs we cannot neglect. To turn off that broad way headed toward this destruction, to turn on to the straight and narrow, to follow in faith our Savior. That's the most important warning sign to follow. I hope that you have done that here this morning. Olin, what number? 326. If you'll stand, we'll have a time of invitation. 326 there in the Baptist hymnal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, different kind of message, I know. A lot of different stuff covered. but Lord, when I think of in this story that we read how you worked miraculously, prophetically to deliver a message to this king, to, to, to warn him of his ways, to try to get him to turn. Lord, it, it, that, that really pales in comparison to so much you do in our own lives to try to guide us and direct us. Lord, the warning signs are all around us that you put up. Lord, give us the spiritual eyes to see them, the wisdom to to understand them. And Lord, even when we don't fully grasp why or what or what the reason could be, but just to have that simple faith to, to follow your leading and follow your commands. Lord, let us always be cognizant of your active work in our lives to guide us and Lord, to, to keep us safe through the warning signs you put up for us. Lord, challenge us, I pray, with these simple thoughts in this time of invitation. In the holy name, pray. Amen.